This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Wednesday, January 31st. People always say mind over matter. This time they mean it. We start here. The medical world reacts as Elon Musk announces a human brain implant. The electrodes are turned on and anything could happen from there. So when can you start moving stuff with your brain and what are the implications? A new raid in the Middle East sparks outrage. Israel has said that these were Hamas operatives. What appeared to be doctors and patients were actually armed IDF agents. And a congresswoman says she needs security, but did she need to hire her husband? What's unclear here is exactly how much she was spending, where those funds were coming from. A member of the squad is under federal investigation. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Sometimes I think about how if Stephen Hawking had been born 100 years earlier, or even 20 years earlier, we might not have fully known his genius. Like, he would have been a genius at any time in human history. But in the 1980s, as his paralysis was worsening, Hawking lost his ability to speak. He happened to get a tracheostomy right as computer programs were coming out that would allow him to communicate. Motorized wheelchairs were becoming a thing, allowing him to be more mobile, which makes me wonder... How many other Stephen Hawkings have there been throughout history who just didn't have the technology to be heard? Well, this week, Elon Musk announced that one of his companies, Neuralink, has made a breakthrough. Announcing his company, Neuralink, has successfully implanted a chip in a human brain. Patients would use the chip to communicate with computers and smartphones. In the last 24 hours, this has kind of galvanized conversations around the medical community and really around the world. Because think about it, as far as medicine has advanced, if you are disabled, you still need to physically point to what you want. Control that wheelchair. Tell someone else what you're thinking, even if your body doesn't want to let you. But what if you could just think something and it would happen? Let's get more on this from ABC's Will Reeve, who's been covering this story. Will, I feel like this has been an idea forever, a machine that kind of like reads your thoughts, translates that into action. What is this device and, and, and what is it supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, Brad, thank you for having me. It's kind of like, you know, basement science fiction. Oh, why don't they just do that? Why don't they put something in somebody's brain and it could control a computer that would help you do things? But it turns out that we may have the technology to do that. And now... Neuralink, one of Musk's many companies, has announced that this one patient that they've done a clinical trial on is responding well to the trial. And what happened in this trial is a device was implanted in the patient's brain. And then these electrodes, they're tiny, not even wider than a human hair. Thousands of them are also implanted in the patient's body and essentially dumbed down a bit, when they're turned on, they can connect to another device, whether it's a computer, a smartphone, or whatever you can imagine, and that gives the patient the ability to use their thoughts to control an external technology and thus interface with the world around them. The device is designed to interpret your neural activity 
so you can operate a computer or a smartphone by simply thinking about moving. No wires or physical movement are required. So if it's a patient with a spinal cord injury who has no movement of their limbs, they might be able to use a device like this to control a computer that could control a robotic hand or help them drive. Or if it's someone who can't communicate at the speed of everyone else around them, they could use the computer to help them talk better. The possibilities really are endless, and we're still very early stages, Brad. I have to emphasize that. But the basics are something gets implanted in a patient's brain, the electrodes are turned on, and anything could happen from there. So almost like your brain is constantly sending electrical impulses to your hand to do the thing you want your hand to do. This would essentially externalize that to, you know, we could have your brain tell lots of different things what to do. How big of a game changer would that be? It would be massive, Brad. Just to, the word that keeps coming to mind for me is freedom, because the first thing that is robbed of someone living with paralysis or ALS or who has a severe stroke or Parkinson's or on down the list of these debilitating conditions, they lose their freedom to varying degrees. You know, the ability to give patients back neurologic function that they've lost would be nothing short of a medical miracle. To harness the power of technology to restore some of those freedoms. No, this Neuralink and other devices like it, because by the way, Neuralink isn't the first company to do this specific thing. It's They're one of a small handful, but the Elon Musk of it all makes it the biggest news. Well, and, and Will, I, I don't know if people know this about you, but like your father, your, Will Reeve, your father was Christopher Reeve, the late actor. <laughs> so you, ha you have a personal connection to paralysis. I'm just wondering sort of how families of, of folks who have experienced this might be feeling about this sort of technology potentially coming online. Well, it's, it's a complicated thing, Brad. Yes, my dad was Christopher Reeve. He was paralyzed in 1995 and spent the final nine years of his life unable to really do anything physically on his own. He needed a ventilator to breathe. He couldn't move his body from really the chin down. And of course, that was quite difficult for him, for our family, for the many, many people who loved him. And I'm overwhelmed by people supporting me. And if I can help people understand this can happen to anybody, that's worth it right there, not to mention my family. At the time, he became the face of paralysis due to his celebrity status, his role as Superman, and the sick irony of the fact that he was then in a wheelchair. But the focus then, and this is the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, the focus was on more physical science, especially and specifically stem cell research and the power to harness embryonic stem cells that would regenerate and essentially rebuild uh, at the sp spot of the injury and hopefully get someone to regain their functions in one way or another or theoretically get out of a wheelchair. That science is still important and people still study it and people still fund it. But what we're seeing now in the present day is the power of technology. And it's not just Neuralink or companies like it. It's dozens of companies in many different areas relating not only to spinal cord injury, but to ALS, Parkinson's, and so much more. Mm realizing that using technology in a safe and responsible way, because again, we are talking about something, a foreign device implanted into a patient's brain. Let's not minimize that. And we are talking about artificial intelligence, which we don't know the power of yet. Right. As long as the researchers, the scientists, the doctors, the entire community that's focused on finding cures for paralysis are 
doing so responsibly, the hope is infinite. You're providing hope in a tangible way that may not have existed at a large scale prior to these technological advancements. Wow. Yeah. Which I guess then leads to the question, Will, when could we see this become a reality for more people, like right, whether it's Neuralink or one of these other pieces of technology, just because something has been successfully implanted in somebody's brain doesn't mean that it's doing all the stuff Elon Musk says it will do, right? So, I mean, do we have a sense of how quickly this could advance? Well, there's still more that we need to learn about the specific patient that Musk announced is doing well after this first human trial for Neuralink. We don't know how old the patient is. We don't know what their condition is, whether they have ALS, whether they have a spinal cord injury. So we need to learn that, and then we need more patients in this clinical trial and others like it to have similar positive results so that researchers can build a data set to see what works, what doesn't, what can be improved, what needs to be avoided, et cetera. The real proof in the pudding is going to come from where are we at six months, 12 months, 24 months. <laughs> if the device continues to function well on that time frame, now the landscape has changed. We need to gather a lot more information about the patient and about what the device does to any patient before it will be even close to mass marketability or mass consumption. But we're closer to that now than we were even just a couple days ago. All right. ABC's Will Reeve. Great reporting and really helpful insight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Brad. Always a pleasure. On start here. While the U.S. decides what would cross a line, did Israel just blow right past one? We'll head to the Middle East after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. 
For three days now, everyone's been wondering what the U.S. is going to do, how it will respond to the death of three soldiers in a drone strike that appeared to come from militant groups backed by Iran. Yesterday, President Biden said he has decided on a game plan, but he wouldn't say what it was. I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for. It now appears the U.S. is actively prepping for retaliatory strikes, but what's unclear is how many or whether they might target Iranian soil. So that's the big story in the U.S. and Iran. But across the rest of the world, the biggest story in the Middle East yesterday was this. We do have dramatic surveillance images coming in tonight. Israeli commandos disguised. Israel has said that these were Hamas operatives. Uh, They have said that one of them was carrying a gun. In the Palestinian territories, Israeli defense forces continue to launch raids in any area they suspect of harboring terrorists. This time they carried out a raid in a hospital. ABC's foreign correspondent James Longman is in Tel Aviv right now. James... There were disguises involved here. This video has gone absolutely viral. What what happened? Yeah, it's an extraordinary video that's been released by the Palestinian Authority. This is CCTV footage from inside a hospital in the occupied West Bank. And what it shows are Israeli special forces who are disguised as medical staff uh, making their way through the hospital for this targeted assassination of three individuals. Uh, they say were planning a terror attack. Uh, against uh, Israel. They move uh, quite quickly through the hospital, uh, and these individuals uh, who they killed uh, look to have been killed uh, in the room where one of them at least was uh, recuperating. That's according to a doctor. They sneaked into the courtyards from the northern and southern entrances of the hospital. They were disguised in nurse uniforms, doctors and civilian clothes, and they sneaked into the third floor. Images from the scene, you know, show a pretty bloody aftermath, which shows that at least one of them was killed in his hospital bed. Uh, Now, the doctor there has said that uh, this man was paralyzed from a drone attack uh, back in October, and the two others who were there uh, were visiting him. Uh, But Israel has said that, no, these are legitimate targets. Uh, This this is another instance, they say, of terrorists using uh, hospitals and using civilians as shields uh, to stay away from uh, uh, Israeli forces. But obviously, this has caused uh, huge outrage across uh, the Palestinian communities. The Palestinian Authority has has said this is not legal. This is a war crime, entering a hospital, uh, killing these men. It's unclear if they were sleeping. Uh, Why could they not have been arrested rather than assassinated in this way? So, look, I think, uh, as ever, in this part of the world, the jury's out on the legalities uh, of what exactly uh, happened. Mm. uh, But it certainly caused a lot of outrage among Palestinian communities. And just so we're being super clear, James, like the West Bank, it's different from Gaza, right? We hear about the war in Gaza, and yet this is the West Bank, the larger area, even closer to a lot of the major cities in Israel. Why is the focus on the West Bank? Why would you have these raids happening there or now? Well, there have been ongoing Israeli operations in West Bank communities, uh, specifically around uh, Jenin. It's a no-go zone, essentially, for the Palestinian Authority, who, of course, are in charge of Palestinian areas uh, of the West Bank. This is a part of of that area that is controlled uh, by the Jenin brigades. Uh, And then there are Hamas cells that operate inside Jenin. So it is seen as a legitimate target for the IDF. We do not go and fight them. They come here and fight us in our own houses. 
The issue, though, of course, is that there are a great many people living in these communities who are living already under occupation, who see IDF uh, forces moving uh, through their communities uh, and uh, making these arrests and often these killings. More than 300 uh, Palestinians have been killed since uh, October 7th in the occupied West Bank alone. First of all, we cannot look out the windows. The army is there and snipers and constant shooting all through the night. There was bulldozing all through the night and the house was shaking, but I did not expect this much destruction. It goes to the heart of this entire issue for Palestinians, whether they're in Gaza, whether they're in the occupied West Bank, they feel that nowhere is safe for them. Wow, okay, so you had this huge amount of outrage over what's been happening these last 24 hours with this West Bank hospital. Our own Matt Gutman also went into Gaza with IDF forces when they were showing them basically, hey, look at all these tunnels underneath cemeteries. And in the process of showing several reporters this, they dug up a Palestinian cemetery. That caused its own level of condemnation. You can talk about like moral ambiguities. These are legitimate targets. You know, people brought this upon them. You can say that as much as you want. With all the outrage that these actions from the IDF are generating, is that impacting ceasefire talks between Israel and Hamas right now? Well, publicly, Israel says absolutely not that it's committed to uh, its operation in Gaza. But we are now more than 26,000 Palestinians, according to Hamas, have been killed in Gaza uh, since this war began. And you've got to think it's having an impact. And at the moment, uh, there is talk of possible uh, ceasefire uh, negotiations underway. Everyone is saying it's too early. Everyone is urging caution. But broadly, the United States is confirming now that there is at least a framework for a possible ceasefire in place. They say it includes at least a six-week pause in hostilities, uh, during which remaining civilian hostages who've been detained in Gaza will be returned in phases. Of course, all of this would mean that there would be an ongoing ceasefire and that a number of Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails uh, could be freed and there'd be more aid uh, going into Gaza. But I think it's safe to say this is still a long way off. Hamas has confirmed that they have received the proposal. They're studying it. But Israeli officials here say Hamas is the wild card. They could pull out last minute. So everyone is holding their breath. There's going to be a lot of diplomacy all this week across this region, including Anthony Blinken, who's heading here. All right. Uh, James Longman there in Tel Aviv right now. Thank you so much. Cheers, Brad. Yesterday on Capitol Hill, Congress took another step toward impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. He has presided over and helped usher in the largest illegal immigration catastrophe in our nation's history. It's not even close. Democrats say this is all kind of a partisan election year charade, right? A way to make it look like the Biden administration is ignoring a migrant crisis, when in reality, the White House says they're using the same strategy employed by other administrations. Well, if it seems like politicians are always blaming the opposing party for their woes, this week we learned that the Justice Department, not Congress, the DOJ itself, is looking into allegations that a prominent Democrat improperly used federal money. Yesterday, we found out who it was. ABC senior reporter Catherine Falders covers investigations in D.C. Catherine, what are sources telling you about who this is? Brad, so we're learning this is Cori Bush. She's this prominent Democrat out of Missouri, a member of the progressive group, the squad, second term congresswoman. And what we're learning here is that the Department of Justice is investigating allegations that she misused federal funds connected to her campaign security expenditures. Wow. And and I keep stressing it's the DOJ because I feel like if it was Republican House committee officials that were saying we got suspicions, people might be like, who knows what their agenda is? What would the DOJ be looking into, though? 
it's a good question. And what we're learning from our sources very specifically is this misuse of federal funds. We know that it's at least in part related to the fact that Bush hired her husband as part of her security team. But there are lots of unanswered questions here. What we do know, we do know that the Federal Election Commission, for example, that the House Ethics Committee, a bipartisan committee, was also looking into this as well. I am under no illusion that these right-wing organizations will stop politicizing and pursuing efforts to attack me and the work that the people of St. Louis sent me to Congress to do. Now we're learning because uh, this grand jury subpoena was transmitted to the House Sergeant at Arms, we know that the Department of Justice is looking into this. But we don't know what exactly the scope of this investigation is. We don't know exactly what the Department of Justice is requesting in terms of documents. But what we do know is that there is an ongoing active investigation into this, but we do have to learn more specifically about what they are looking into. Cori Bush, for her part, says uh, they are cooperating uh, with the Department of Justice, that they uh, look forward to fully cooperating with them. And of course, she says, Cori Bush says uh, that she did not use any federal funds for security. Right. She started bringing up campaign funds, right, Catherine, which is different from federal funding. Like federal funding means taxpayer dollars. She said, people have donated to my campaign. I spent some of that money on security. I never used taxpayer dollars. But it sounds like what your sources are saying is that the DOJ might be investigating the federal funds. And it's interesting because not only did a congressional investigation find no wrongdoing, Catherine, but Cori Bush has had security concerns before, right? She's prominent. She's received threats. But is it legal to bring your husband on as your security guy, like to pay him that money? I think it's allowed for her to do that. She says that her husband was retained. He has had extensive experience in this area and is able to provide the necessary services at or or below fair market rate. But it's a good question about how exactly this works. How much money are lawmakers, our congressional offices allowed to spend? We know a couple of years ago, lawmakers made changes to how much congressional offices could spend on security. That increased uh, by 20% or so. And we know that in the House, an individual lawmaker could spend around $10,000 on security. But what's unclear here is exactly how much she was spending, where those funds were coming from. Of course, she says she hasn't used any federal tax dollars for the personal security services. There clearly is something that the DOJ at least feels the need to investigate in terms of her misusing the funds in in whatever way. But that is unclear at this point. All right. Catherine Falders, uh, as this investigation comes more into focus, thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, the players are picking out their rings, but her designs could end up being way more valuable. One last thing is next. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And one last thing. I've been trying not to gloat. I've been trying not to thump my chest. But my beloved San Francisco 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. Guess what? He's going to get it. Mitchell surging forward. That was them winning the conference championship on Sunday. And right after the game, Kristen Juszczyk, the wife of fullback Kyle Juszczyk, showed off her latest fashion creation. The sewing machine does not sleep. She had handmade a full-length parka with her husband's jersey number on it. And as she rolled up the sleeves, you could see a hidden message she had stitched inside. Super Bowl bound. 
Well, yesterday we learned that this has gone from a crafty hobby to something bigger. The NFL has officially granted Kristen Juszczyk a license to make football fan fashions. See, throughout the years, women's sports apparel has been notoriously bad. Shirts in pink when pink's not a team color, things inexplicably bedazzled. Like, these are your options unless you just want to wear an oversized t-shirt. Well, Kristen Juszczyk, who had tried launching a fashion brand a few years ago, started making these custom pieces out of her own husband's jerseys. It's the NFC Championship so you already know I'm making a custom game day outfit. Eventually, wives and girlfriends of other teammates started asking her to make stuff for them. Letterman's jackets with their favorite player's name, head-turning blazers and team colors. Then, ahead of the playoffs, she was commissioned by perhaps the biggest client in the world. Taylor is in the house. When Taylor Swift arrived in Kansas City to watch her boyfriend Travis Kelsey play in bone-chilling temperatures, what was she wearing but a custom Kelsey puffer coat designed by Kristen Juszczyk? And this all sort of speaks to how quickly athletes and those around them can become fully realized brands. It's not just Travis Kelsey who's famous at this point. It's his brother, his sister-in-law, it's a big thing on his podcast, everyone around him. Kristen Juszczyk went from being an aspiring realtor three years ago to one of the few designers on earth allowed to use NFL logos. In the long term, you can imagine this venture making more money than her husband's contract, which might be why he's been hyping her everywhere he goes. She's got all the fame, but she deserves it, man. She's doing so good. She's working her tail off. Uh, and, you know, big things are coming for her. Before a recent game, Kyle Juszczyk made a scissor motion with his hands to the cameras, reminiscent of the snip-snip that begins his wife's TikTok videos. The Super Bowl is now two weeks away, but for some, the gold rush is already won. I was watching these designs get, like, more and more elaborate throughout the season. At one point, she had made these Kyle Juszczyk knee-high boots. I was like, she's going to start selling these, which, smart move, since if even a few of your NFL friends ask for these things, you're rolling with multi-millionaires. They'll pay whatever. This is all like a lesson in brand marketing for the digital age. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. Go Niners. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.